Welcome to Disaffected. I'm Joshua Slocum, and this is the show where we talk about politics, culture, and relationships through a psychological lens. This week, we've got a field report from the Burlington, Vermont City Schools. They are indoctrinating children in identity instability, lies about sex, and frankly, sexual deviance, and they're doing it proudly. We're going to talk about when children are elevated to the status of wise sages and political leaders, something is seriously amiss, and these children are being mistreated. The exploitation of children in adult politics is happening everywhere, and it's a very bad omen. And as usual, I'm going to lob sundry insults at annoying celebrities and crappy modern art. Let's go. I couldn't believe this when I saw it. And then I said to myself, stop saying you can't believe these things, Josh. You've had your eyes open for at least four or five years now. You can believe this. While the Democrats would like to lower the voting age from 18 to 16. Have you noticed how much the left relies on children? Have you noticed how often it uses children as props for its projects and agendas, for its war efforts as a phase four climate disaster? The left exploits children as if children were not people but property. And now they want to conscript, conscript them into voting for adult politicians. This is from the Gateway Pundit. Representative Grace Meng of New York State, U.S. House from New York State, has a new resolution in the U.S. House. It is H.J. Resolution 16. Quote, The right of citizens of the United States who are 16 years of age or older to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of age. This is a constitutional amendment that she is proposing. Good luck, Ms. Mang. Very good luck, my dear, on getting two-thirds of the states to come together in a constitutional convention and ratify your wackadoodle idea of allowing 16-year-olds to vote. <laughs> why? Why do they want this? We know why. Nancy Pelosi told us why in 2019. Take a listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you can't take a listen to it because I didn't pull the clip, so I'm going to have to read it to you. <laughs> I first got this uh, fr uh, from the article, and I wanted to check the source. So I just I did a quick search, and oh, you know what is so annoying? I just stopped myself right now from saying Google search. You know why I did that? So that somebody wouldn't fill up the YouTube comments with, don't you know that Google censors searches? Why aren't you using the Brave search engine? That's the life of a podcast host these, these days. You get, you get stuff run for you. <laughs> so I did a search, and sure enough, Nancy Pelosi really did say this um, on camera in front of an American flag. She said, I myself have always been for lowering the voting age to 16. 
I think it's really important to capture kids when they're in high school, when they're interested in all of this, when they're learning about government to be able to vote, end quote. Capture the kids. It's a Freudian slip. It was a little bit of truth-telling that she didn't mean to do. When they're interested. Yeah, yeah. 16-year-olds are really so far interested in voting politics. Mm -hmm. And they're learning a lot about it at that time, aren't they, Nancy? Yeah, because schools do a really, really good job of teaching the Constitution and all this stuff. <laughs> They're not interested in government. Teenagers are interested in cause, causes célèbres, and many of those are, in fact, political causes, but they have very little understanding of the political structure of this country, and that is by design. That's by design from people like Nancy Pelosi and the Department of Education. They don't teach civics anymore. They don't teach history. They teach, well, I don't even know if it's social studies anymore. It's probably something even more Marxist than that. Children are interested in rabble-rousing and sticking it to whichever adults they dislike at the moment. That's reliable. That's teenage behavior. I did it. Everyone does it. Except for you, supply your own, not alls. <laughs> And that's exactly why issues like trans and all things gender are so attractive to them. Nancy knows this. Give her the child at 16 and she'll show you the lifelong Democratic voter. Speaking of exploiting children, former children, did you see that um, climate Pippi Longstocking got arrested this week? Greta Thunberg? Excuse me. Greta Thunberg. How dare I? <laughs> She's not a kid anymore, so I can talk about that bitch exactly how I feel like it. Um, this 16-year-old girl, of course, made her debut several years ago talking to world leaders in front of cameras the world over, telling them things like, how dare you steal our future? And the adults sat there in rapt attention as this... Emotionally dysregulated child lectured them, screamed at them. And then she became the hero. She became the Joan of Arc of the climate change movement. Take a look here at Greta's arrest. <laughs> you also want those pretty men? Does this look like an arrest? Or does it look like a photo op? Don't those cops seem kind of in on it? Kind of cooperative? Did you see everybody sitting there waiting for the cue? The cue for the camera to start walking? <laughs> and it, we need to loop this. I don't know if you're seeing it, but if possible, we need to loop this. Um, look at that smug look on Greta's face. She is absolutely loving this. She loves it. Look, she, when she's being carried away. You know, it reminds me of um, 
It reminds me of Hedonism Bot on, on the cartoon Futurama reclining on himself because he is part chaise long <laughs> and demanding to be fed another grape. <laughs> or perhaps like Madonna, dressed as Marie Antoinette, being carried off stage on MTV on a horsehair settee, staring at everybody with a lorgnette. <laughs> Oh, dear, dear Greta. Oh, I'm not supposed to move around a lot because um, we're having technical trouble with the camera, so I, I'm going to try to be a little less squirmy than I usually am. So maybe I'll just make my eyes do even more crazy things than they ordinarily do. Okay, viewer comments. This is from Emma Louie, who left this on our YouTube channel. And you know what? I'm going to be... I'm going to be charitable to Emma. I'm going to assume that she was having one of those days where she just couldn't. I have those days. She says, this was uh, left in response to our show last week titled, Put Up or Shut Up. Emma says, unsubscribing. I don't even remember what this is or why I subscribed to it in the first place. Perhaps I should close down all social media stuff for a week at least. Is this about Jordan Peterson? If it is, then perhaps put that in the main title so people know. The title just sounds like some serial rapist. <laughs> Does it, Emma? Come on. I'm being charitable with you. I need you to be a little bit charitable with me too, okay? The phrase put up or shut up has nothing to do with rape. My guess is that you're young and that you haven't heard a phrase that's not common parlance anymore, but it was common parlance at least 20 years ago. It simply means what it says, put up or shut up. It is not a rape reference. Dial it back a little bit, okay? I know you don't remember why you came, but you probably came because I was talking about trans and you probably found the subject interesting. Come back, Emma, would you please? When you're done with the social media shutdown, and I totally get it, I could use a complete break for a week myself. Come back and see us again. You might actually like it. Thanks. All right, let's move to crap modern art. <laughs> but where do we start, Josh? That's a very good question. We're going to start this week in Boston. You know what I'm going to talk about, don't you? So this week... There was a sculpture commemorating Martin Luther King Jr. Day that was unveiled in the Boston Common, downtown Boston. And this sculpture is allegedly based, uh, it's supposed to commemorate the moment in, oh gosh, I forget the year, was it 65? When Martin Luther King Jr. won the Nobel Peace Prize and he grabbed his wife, Coretta Scott King, and hugged her. And there's a photograph of it. So this sculpture is called The Embrace. And it is allegedly a sculpture in honor of this historic and poignant moment. Take a look at it. <laughs> okay. That's a bad angle. Let's try a different one. Sorry, that's another bad angle. Let us try a third. <laughs> it looks like a self-eating asshole. 
Come on. Come on. Do you want to see the picture on, on which this is? Okay, I'm sorry. Actually, I have to paint a word picture for those of you who are listening. So this, I don't know if I can describe verbally the eldritch horror that is this sculpture. So I advise you. Um, audio only listeners, uh, when you're done with this, for your um, for your visual delight, please take a look um, online and see this. This sculpture stands, I would guess, 30 to 40 feet tall. It is a pair of hands on which are re- is resting. Well, frankly, it looks like a great big giant turd. It looks like a great big turd log on top of two open palms. This is supposed to be a representation of Martin Luther King and his wife Coretta hugging each other, but there's there are no bodies, no heads. You know that um, corporate Memphis art style that everybody's using in posters that show people with no facial features? Well, this one goes even further. They don't have any facial features because they don't have faces, and they don't have faces because they don't have heads, and they also don't have bodies. It's just... It's like an Ouroboros of arms wrapped around each other. And no matter which way you look at it, there's something vaguely scatological and sexual about it. And it's not just me and my dirty mind. Hundreds of people I've seen commenting on this say the same thing. And you know what? I don't believe the artist didn't know it either. I think it's deliberate. Mm -hmm. Do you want to see the picture that this was based on? Here it is. I, I, yes, two normal human earth people, complete with bodies and heads. You know, the, the post-millennial reported on this, and they rounded up some of the reactions. <laughs> A couple of good ones. So the post-millennial um, pulled some uh, Twitter reactions. Here's one. Boston really put a bronze statue of someone holding a giant cock downtown to have the nerve to say it's MLK and his wife embracing. Shake my head. (laughs) I know that's right, honey. (laughs) Here's another. That Boston MLK statue is a good litmus test of who is willing to call out absurdity and who is too afraid of being called racist. And yes, he spelled it racist. (laughs) That's Jack Posobiec, political commentator. He is right. This this sculpture, this piece of putative art, this is of a piece with the deliberate uglification of everything. Humans are uglifying themselves in order to have new genders, and we're expected to tell them that they're pretty pretty. New buildings, everywhere you go. It's happening here in Vermont. In, in the New England picture postcard state of Victorian homes and covered bridges. New buildings are all ugly as sin. They're boxy tenements with a hodgepodge of clashing uh, colors and materials. Cheap stuff. Cheap cladding on the outside. You'll see something that looks like brick, but of course it isn't brick. It's just a plastic uh, facade. And then there will be plastic clabbered over the top of it. And then there will be plastic stone masonry. On the other side, I mean, it is the most ugly shit you've ever seen in your life. I call it, I call this Seattle modern uh, because that's what it looks like in Seattle. Um, and, and it is, it's the child of brutalism. And brutalism is the architectural expression of the cluster B mind, of the nihilistic anti-human mind. 
Every bit of modern art that we see today is ugly. And not just not pretty, actively ugly, as in designed to assault your sense of beauty. That's the point. Transgression is the point. Now we're not only transgressing against actual beauty, but we're demanding that people gaze upon ugliness and then affirm out loud either that it's gorgeous and beautiful or that it makes them hot, you know? Oh, that's such a beautiful building. Or we look over here at this, you know, this one over here with the downstairs and an upstairs mix up and say, oh, yeah, I would totally date that person. Sure you would. This is the emperor's new clothes. That's all it is. And do you know what animated the emperor? For those of you who don't know, and there will be some of you because you young people these days are being cheated by your adults and they are not teaching you the moral lessons of the world that come through fairy tales. So the Emperor's New Clothes is the story of an emperor, a king, who was so vain that he was easily tricked. And a couple of alleged tailors came by and said they would weave him the most beautiful uh, clothes in the world from the finest cloth that would cost him a great deal of money. And the thing about it is only, um, only intelligent and wise people would be able to see it. Everyone else wouldn't even be able to see the cloth. So, of course, the king couldn't see the cloth himself because there wasn't any. <laughs> but he went along with it. And he walked down the street naked. And everybody in the crowd stood there on the sidelines on the streets and said, Oh, marvelous, magnifique. Oh, what excellent tailoring. What fine raiments for our liege except one little boy who said he's wearing no clothes at all. <laughs> Do you know what animated the emperor? Cluster B. Vanity, egotism, narcissism. Do you know what animated his tailors? Cluster B. And the townsfolk who all stood on the street and told them they had never seen such fine garments, they were also operating under cluster B rules. Like the townsfolk in this fairy tale, we, we modern Westerners, are all acting as abused children who repeat the lie that daddy is wonderful and mommy is beautiful and nice because we know what we'll get if we don't repeat the lie. Come back and see us after the break. There's a new perk for disaffected subscribers, and it's a good one. Patreon and Subscribestar donors, as well as PayPal donors, now have instant access to our backstage Discord server. Join multiple topic-based chat rooms and 24-7 open voice chat, and even virtual events on a main stage for hosted conversations and backstage podcast recording sessions. It's not Twitter, and you don't have to pretend Bruce Jenner's vagina is real. Sign up today. Looking for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com, 
or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Welcome back. This past Wednesday evening, along with my friend Christopher Aaron Felker, I went to a meeting at Flynn Elementary School here in Burlington, Vermont. This is the first of three meetings that will be taking place about 2SLGBTQIA+. Yes. Yes. That is what they call it. It is my fervent hope that this kind of ridiculousness, these expanding acronyms are going to go so far that they all collapse. But I've watched them grow for several years now, and I see no sign of structural instability yet. So my hope is being kept at a very modest level. Why is the Burlington School District having meetings open to the public and children and teachers at elementary schools about gender, gender transition, gender identity, sex assigned at birth, as they say. Why is this going on? Well, let's listen to it from the presenters. Here's an introduction from Autumn Bangora, Equity Instructional Leader for Burlington Schools. And we'll give you a chance to introduce yourselves in a minute, but I just wanted to orient you to the purpose of this. We're having um, three LGBTQ-themed workshops. Um, last year, we BSD launched an LGBTQ task force, um, and one of the main things that came out of it as goals were education and thinking about education. And I, what I love about these virtual equity workshops is how cross-generational they are. So we have school board commissioners, we have BSD staff, we have students here, we have parents here. So um, I think it's a really great opportunity to, to engage in dialogue with each other. Um, so today's theme is words and phrases, vocabulary and terminology. So our expectation is, is that you walk away really, really versed and any new phrases and terminology. She wants us to be really, really well versed in terminology. Okay. Well, here's the second introduction from, you know what, I'm going to, this isn't going to do anything, but I feel compelled to say it. My hope, and I think it's a forlorn hope, my hope is that the people who are at this presentation, who will of course see this show that I'm putting together right now, my hope is that they will be able to hear this critique. I was deliberately low-key 
when I went to the meeting. I didn't cause a ruckus. I used the tone of voice that I'm using with you right now. I didn't do any of my ordinary histrionics. I wasn't there to put on a show. This is my show. That's not my show. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to give the people here the benefit of the doubt. I don't think they will... I don't think that will make any difference, and I think that as soon as I say the things that I'm about to say, um, that the next meeting that I show up at, and I will, by the way, Burlington School District, I will be at each of these meetings. So accommodate yourself to that eventuality. It's going to happen. Uh, But I predict that the reception will be significantly chillier after this segment. I wish that weren't the case, but I know from experience now that... um, You cannot be calm enough. You can't speak respectfully enough in order to be heard if you disagree with any of their basic claims. You will provoke an emotional backlash. So I'm going to try, but it isn't going to work. I got the sense from the people who were in this room, there are only about 13 people, two presenters, the rest of us were audience members, some people were parents, some people were teachers in the school, there were a couple of 11 or 12 year old girls there, which was um, uncomfortable. I didn't get the sense that anybody there was a malicious person. I think they're very misguided, foolish to the extreme, and I think they're doing harmful things. Yeah, I know, I know the word harmful is now out of our vocabulary too. Um, because it's been abused by people like we're going to see here. Um, But I don't think they mean to. I think they think, at least, that they're trying to do the right thing, and I'm trying to take them in good faith. Um, But the road to hell is paved with good intentions, and this project is definitely a step on the road to hell. So here's Alex Ryder, para-educator at Flynn Elementary School. Now, I don't know this for certain, but I'm 90% confident. The Alex Reiner that we're about to see here is a young woman who wants you to believe that she is a man. This is a young woman on testosterone. She's all of 21 or 22 years old. Take it away, Alex. Um, So the the statement reads, uh, we at the Burlington School District stand committed to transforming BSD into a national model for holistic wellness for LGBTQ plus people, youth, and adults. We stand in solidarity with LGBTQ plus students, staff, and community members, and believe that schools can truly be safe only when every student is assured access to an education without fear. We stand behind our BSD staff who pursue a safe and supportive environment for all students. We also stand behind our educators who teach an inclusive curriculum that features LGBTQ people, history and events, and raise awareness to counter discrimination, stereotypes, bias, and harassment. This is a tent revival. This is indoctrination. This is not an educational experience. It's indoctrination. No one is safe until we all are. We hear that a lot. It's straight-up Marcuse Marxist ideology. No one can do anything, no one can enjoy anything, and no one can stop doing the work until they've saved every single oppressed person. No, I'm already free, Alex. Regardless of whether you think you're free, regardless of the number of people that you point at and say, they're being oppressed, they're being oppressed because people don't believe their gender. I don't care. I'm free, baby. 
This is forced teaming, too. No one's free unless we're all free. No. Piss off. That's your project, not mine. Dismissed. Notice the use of the word educators. It's never teachers anymore. It's educators. Even saw Alex correcting herself when she was about to say teacher. Did you catch that? Yeah. This is a tell. Educators in other states are being punished for trying to teach inclusivity. No, Alex, they're not. That's not true. And you know that's not true. The people who are being punished are those who refuse to collaborate in abusing children, refusing to hide the child's so-called gender identity from the parents, refusing to have a closet full of gender-affirming clothes that the children can change into like a superhero when they get there so mommy and daddy don't see them. Those are the people who are being punished, the ones who are actually looking out for children. Nobody on your side is being punished for trying to teach inclusivity, Alex. Stop. Stop lying. You don't know nearly as much as you think you do. None of you do. The kinds of stuff that came out of your mouth astonished me. These are all narcissistic reversals, of course. Next clip, please. Um, yeah, is there anything else you'd like to add on? No, just that one of the recommendations from the task force was that this statement was embedded in all the student calendar handbooks and the BSD calendar and posted in all our schools. And that was the easiest one to be like, check, we did it. So if you're ever walking through the schools, I think that advocacy statement is on is on the other side of that pillar right over there in our Flynn library. Every single library has one. Um, classroom teachers have asked to have them up in their classrooms, and they've also asked um, for lesson plans to go along with it. So. so every school library in the Burlington School District has this affirming statement. Why? Every classroom has it, too. Why? Why is this in an elementary school? Autumn. Hmm? Hello? Okay. Now we're going to turn to intern Felipe. I'm sorry, I could not, um, I could neither understand, I didn't hear his last name, and um, I was not able to do an internet search that revealed it. So Felipe is apparently a High school senior at Burlington High School, and he's an intern with one of the equity LGBT projects. Here we go. Um, one thing I already know about LGBTQ plus history is I went to, was it the Stonewall Riots in New York City? Yeah, I went to where that happened, and it was very, it was moving, and it was really interesting to me. Was it the Stonewall Riots, he asks? Yes, yes, Felipe, it was the Stonewall Riots, that thing that you know about LGBTQ history but couldn't remember. <laughs> was it the Stonewall Riots? Look, you are a high school senior and you don't know very much, and that's because you're a high school senior. All high school seniors just don't know very much compared to what you're going to know in 10 years and 20 years. You're in no position to be instructing about this. Nobody who was doing the instructing was in any position to be instructing on these matters. Back to Alex. Um, 
I guess one thing I know about LGBTQ history is I learned I learned quite a bit about uh, Marsha P. Johnson, who was um, a very influential transgender figure. Um, some of the um, movements. I don't remember the years, um, but she was very influential in like kind of getting that voice heard, um, along with like Sylvia Rivera. I don't remember the years. Hmm. There's a lot you don't know and a lot you don't remember, but you're very confident. You're very confident in standing up there in front of people and being an instructor, excuse me, an educator, aren't you? Why? What else don't you know, Alex, about your subject matter that you're teaching us? Marsha P. Johnson, really? Marsha P. Johnson was a man whose name was Malcolm Michaels. He said so repeatedly. Yes, Malcolm Michaels repeatedly in his own words said, I am a man, I am a drag queen. There's no she here, Alex. There's no transgender woman here. That fake category transgender woman that you believe is real did not exist socially in 1969. Didn't. Sorry. Nope, didn't exist throughout history either. Didn't. He was not a transgender woman. He wasn't even at the riots when they started. He was passed out from drugs on a park bench. Do you know how I know that? Because I actually read history. Books, Alex. Not websites. Books. Not pink news books. And you know how else I know? Because I know one of the originals. I know Fred Sargent, the one that you heard about from Christopher Aaron Felker and from me as we sat there on that table and explained to the people gathered there that one of the original young gay men who was at the Stonewall Bar in New York City and participated in the riots and was there for three nights and used his printing press to print up leaflets to ask people to fight back against the police and the next year co-founded the Christopher Street Gay Liberation March, which became the Pride Parade that you all celebrate today. I know these things because I know one of the people who was actually there, who actually did the work that you are crediting to a non-existent transgender woman called Marsha P. Johnson. Alex, does it bother you at all that you don't know anything accurate about this? I know you're never going to admit it publicly, and I know right now, if you're watching this and you've got a friend next to you, you're saying all sorts of horrible things about me. But I also know something else. Inside your mind quietly, you know that I have a point. You know that I figured out that you don't know what you're talking about. You don't have to be this way, any of you. You can actually read books. You can actually talk to people like Fred Sargent who were there. This knowledge can be known. But you have to get over your emotional commitment to a fairy tale that isn't real. And Sylvia Rivera was also a man. Stop assigning identities to people, Alex. Stop gendering them. All right, let's go back to Autumn. I'm Autumn, she, her. Um... I really do want to learn more. 
about LGBTQ plus history. Um, but the first thing that comes to mind is just, I was born in 1973. So I watched when I was a teenager, civil union and gay marriage become legal. Um, and that felt like really, really affirming and a pretty powerful thing. Autumn says she was born in 1973. That's the year before I was born. She says she was born in 1973, and she watched civil unions and gay marriage become legal when she was a teenager. I did the arithmetic. Autumn was 20 years old in 1993, already past teenhood. The first civil unions in the United States were recognized after a court decision in Vermont in year 1999. Autumn, you were 26 years old when the first civil unions were recognized. You were not a teenager. You did not grow up as a teenager watching civil unions and gay marriage become legal. Gay marriage became legal in 2015, 16 years after civil unions in Vermont. This is not your history, Autumn. Very clearly, you haven't gotten your story straight. This isn't for your straight lady delectation. Oh, how do I know? How do I know? Come on. The same way you all know. <laughs> this isn't about you, Autumn. It's not about your cohort of middle-aged women. It's, we're not here. We gays are not here to pay your social cred salary the way you want us to. We're not props in your made-up stories. You have a lot of nerve, real, a lot of real confident nerve. That felt really affirming and powerful. Oh, really? What does that mean? Affirmed what, specifically? For whom, specifically? What does this have to do with you, Autumn? Now it's activity time. Check this out. All right. We're going to do an activity now. So because we're <laughs> rounding ourselves in words, um, it's really important to understand what these all represent. So we thought to do this, we're going to use these flags. So I think with a group like this, maybe Felipe, you want to come over here with this group. And your job is to just talk with each other about, and then you three or four of you come over here. I think two small groups would be fine. So she puts six flags down on each table and says it's really important to know what these represent. I don't know why it's really important to know that, but we have been told it is. So Christopher and I only recognize the plain old um, original recipe gay pride flag. The rest of them, no idea what they were. But we were instructed and we were told that they included the following. Gay pansexual, lesbian, non-binary, transgender, and asexual. Can I tell you how uncomfortable it was to sit at a child-sized table, and I, I mean like this big, right? With 11 and 12-year-old girls saying words like non-binary gender identity and asexual and sexual attraction, it made me feel like an unwilling creeper. My skin was crawling off my spine while this was going on. This isn't right. This isn't 
right. Oh my God. You know, if you could take a picture of this shit and show it to people, people who lived only 10 years ago, I wouldn't be the only one with this look on my face. I know I'm not the only one who sees this. And I hope a lot more people who've never been to one of these meetings in Burlington see it now as a result of this. This is what they're doing with your children. More from Alex. You never think of cisgender. You never think of gender assigned at birth and that you identify with that gender. You just think gender, male or female. It's binary. And I think cisgender came out as part of LGBTQ activism to allow people to say, no, I am either transgender or non-binary or cisgender. Yeah, I think. Or other, or I gender think fluid. you said it really well, because I think um, when transgender was kind of gaining more traction, a lot of, it was very othering to say, oh, um, you know, I'm male, and then someone had to be like, oh, I'm transgender, and it almost felt very othering when you just, you have gender, and then there's, there's transgender. There was no mm -hmm. kind of, um, I guess, word for, um, I guess, as uh, aligning with the sex that you were assigned with at birth. See, what Alex and these people don't realize, they're admitting, she's admitting, that the term cisgender was made up so that normal people would have to label themselves. That's why. So that ordinary people who don't have delusions about their sex have to label themselves and have to fit them into a category within the LGBTQ paradigm because it swallows up everything and they have to do it involuntarily. You have force-teamed normal people with cisgender. They have to have their own special name because it felt othering to people like Alex to have to say their special identity without other people also having to have a special identity. And I don't want to stand out, except I do want to stand out when I want to get attention. So I want to have my cake and eat it too. The purpose of this, the purpose of this terms like cisgender is to normalize the abnormal, to make taking cross-sex hormones just as natural as not taking cross-sex hormones. See, there's nothing pathological about believing that you're the sex you're not. It's just one way of being. You cis people are just the same. There are no cis people. There's no cisgender. It's linguistic camouflage for the mentally unwell. If everyone has to wear the same ridiculous verbal costume, then it's harder to see the unwell malcontents among them because they don't stand out anymore. It's as simple as that. Now, let's go to this teacher wearing a mask here. She was one of my favorites. I think that's like a way that, that the words we use um, show our privilege or the words we don't use show our privilege and so part of it is that um like you were saying a word can be like can other a whole group of people and so we need these words in order to um have people reflect on their privilege in our society that's it right there she gave it away quote we need these words to have people reflect on their privilege in society that's the goal. This is to make people uncomfortable and to make them believe that they've committed a social wrong. We need these words to have people reflect on their privilege. We need these words so that other people will perceive themselves and people like them as oppressors. We need to raise their awareness of their privileged status or 
Put more plainly and honestly, we need to other them. What are you getting out of this, teacher lady? I didn't catch your name. What's this doing for you? Hmm? Why are you in this room? She also said, this woman did, she said her favorite thing about being a teacher is, quote, getting my students to shake things up and, quote, make change. That's what you think your job is. To turn your students into activists. That's what you think your job is as a teacher. How about English, history, or mathematics? Bueller. Bueller. She also said, that the 1969 Stonewall riots inspired her to become a teacher. Sure, Jan. <laughs> One more from Autumn. So this is the gender unicorn. Just for the folks that aren't familiar, um, I think it's really important to show this because this is something that students might be exposed to in our schools starting as early as fourth grade. Why are children being shown a cutesy cartoon that tells them that their sex isn't real, it's just arbitrarily assigned, and that they have a phantom soul called a gender identity? Why are they being taught that certain activities and certain clothing and certain fashion choices are for men and some are for women, and if they want to stray from those, that they have a different gender? As early as fourth grade, eh? Yeah? Going to be exposing them in fourth grade? Boy, you start abusing them young. We're going to close up with a clip of my participation. This is as far as I went in here. Um, but I'd like you, as you listen to this clip, well, if you listen to it, you won't be able to see. But if you're watching, pay attention to the body language of Alex and Autumn when I ask this question. Go ahead and roll the clip, please. Yeah, question. Yeah, I'm just curious, um, and, you know, maybe it's, I don't know if there's an official sort of um, um, answer for this or if it's individual, but what does it mean sex assigned at birth? Um, here, go ahead. So sex assigned at birth means basically when you were born, um, a doctor um, ass uh, assigned you as a baby um, at birth, whether you, um, to be either female, male, or potentially intersex, um, given the um, genitalia um, that uh, was present. So... My, my question is, is um, about the word assigned. I'm, I'm a little bit confused. So, it sounds like the doctor is observing the biological characteristics of the person and saying, well, this, this is male, female, or intersex. But assigned seems more like the doctor is making a decision about something. Yeah, and I think that's a great, that's correct, really, because doctors do assign babies at birth whether they are male or female based on their genitalia. And so that doctor is, is making that decision and that observation of like, yeah, this, you know, this is what it looks like and this is, you know, how- The doctor is making a decision about what the actual sex is. The doctor is not observing it. The doctor's deciding what the sex is. Is that what you're saying? I think it's, I think it is intentional language here that they're using okay. the word assigned because of that. Okay. Um, because because this is comes from transstudent.org slash gender. But it could say sex at birth, right? You see how uncomfortable they are when they are asked a direct and substantive question. 
Look how they don't know what to say. Look how they don't want to have to say anything. It's because they don't have any actual knowledge of this putative curriculum they're teaching. They have a memorized catechism. They have magic words, juju words. They don't understand what the words they speak actually mean. And God forbid you ask them to think conceptually about the real meaning. That's just completely beyond them. They're shocked and offended, actually, to even be asked. They're never asked these questions. They're only applauded. Well, get ready, because I'm going to ask several more next month. See you after the break. for a non-woke place to put your money where your mouth is? Put it where my mouth is. Disaffected supporters get access to our private Discord chat server, backstage episode recording sessions, surprise guests, and more. And all it takes is $10 a month. You've got two options. Either Substack, visit us at disaffectedpod.substack.com or go over to subscribestar.com slash disaffected. Remember, choose the $10 level or higher for Discord access. Can't get enough of our love, baby? That's because you're not subscribed. Move that thumb over to the great big old subscribe button on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. We put out audio-only exclusive content that you won't get on any other video platform, so make sure you subscribe today. At the same time this was going on, Syracuse was considering an ordinance that would have made it illegal to fire someone for being gay. And older lawyers and activists in the gay community noticed my situation at my employer and got in touch with me. And for a time, in the local media and uh, in the city, I became the poster child for this new ordinance. And my work story was used as an illustration of why it was necessary. Um, <clears throat> I made appearances on local news programs. I gave interviews to uh, several newspapers, um, local cable access television, and, and um, that ordinance eventually passed. Um, during this time, I was also sort of being, uh, I don't want to use that word, prepped by lawyers who wanted to take my employment situation and, and make an actual court case out of it, which I wanted to do as well at 16. Oh, yeah, I want to sue my employer. Sue him into the ground, man, you know. Um, I was genuinely mistreated by Wegmans in that situation. This was a long time ago, too. This was like, this was 1990. Um, and I did genuinely believe in the cause that I was helping to promote this, this ordinance. Believe in it now. I still think it should be illegal to simply fire somebody from a job because you don't like the fact that on their private time they're a homosexual who sleeps with, you know, other people, uh, other people of the same sex. So to, to a degree, I'm pleased to have been part of this. But in 
overall, it shouldn't have happened. I shouldn't have been involved in this. I was a child. I wouldn't have wanted anyone to call me a child because I was 16 and I knew everything. But I was also 16, emotionally unstable, emotionally dysregulated, um, didn't know very much. But I appeared to know a lot, or at least that's how many adults responded to me. They would tell me that I was so mature for my years. I was photogenic and very well-spoken and articulate for a 16-year-old. Mm -hmm. But I was not an old soul. I had been parentified and made into a pseudo-spouse and partner figure at home by my mother and made to grow up much, much faster than a child ordinarily should have to. And some of the tricks that you learn, you don't experience them as tricks. That's, it isn't conscious, but some of the tricks you learn as such a child is how to please adults, how to make them find you charming, fascinating, how to speak to them, how to surprise them. These are defense mechanisms that children like me learn to stop abuse. And, you know, you find out that they have social utility in other areas. So um, these people, the lawyers and activists, they weren't bad people. But what happened to me, what happened to me then, it's, it's almost over-egging it a little bit. This situation just wasn't appropriate. I had no business being a political figure at that age. Just dealing with the things that some people said about me in letters to the editor was a lot to take for a 16-year-old. And people felt very free to say things. It was one older man wrote to the Daily Paper saying that I had brought my problems on myself in terms of being fired from my job because I should have been thinking about baseball and wholesome pastimes instead of flirting with men in the checkout line while I ran their groceries over the scanner. I hated that guy. But you know what? Part of him was right. I did, well, I was a flirt. It was a little played the coquette. I did flirt with older men. I did want sexual attention. It's a 16-year-old boy. 16-year-olds <laughs> are hormonal. But in reality, I really should have been engaged in practices that were more innocent and wholesome. But that was not the life that was available to me. That ship had already sailed. I had just been sprung from the group home. I was an emancipated minor by the time this stuff already happened. And I was living in a cockroach-infested apartment paid for by the Salvation Army, with a roommate who was a drug dealer who stole my cash money out from under my bed and then tried to make it look like a burglary and denied it, and I believed it until I couldn't believe it anymore. That was the life I was living while I was being put in front of cameras to talk about politics. Children end up being political pawns because their parents are broken or they are absent from their lives at crucial developmental times. You know my story, but what about Greta's story? What about Greta Thunberg? Her story isn't one of poverty, but I think it's probably a story of abuse and neglect as well. 
Her mother is a famous opera singer who starred on Eurovision. Her father is an actor who starred in a Swedish television series. Do you suppose there's any ego or perhaps any elevated level of narcissism among those two? <laughs> Parents who push their children to become stars are abusing their children. They are trying to shore up their own egos and vanity through their children. It's the phenomenon of pageant parents, which is the same thing as trans parents, parents of a trans kiddo. These are pageant parents. Jazz Jennings, his narcissist mother, Jeanette, is a pageant parent. Just a significantly bloodier one than we usually see. And this is something that I wish conservative commentators would understand better than they do. Many of them correctly identify parents who are pimping and spoiling their children, but they often don't acknowledge that this kind of treatment is itself abuse that carries long-term consequences. It's psychologically traumatizing. Let's talk about Matt Walsh. He, he, he's an example. I really like Matt Walsh. I listen to his show. I listen to every one of his shows, and I agree with about 90% of what he says. I mean, half the time when I write the notes for this show, I find that he's covered every single topic that I plan to talk about. He just did it earlier in the week. And recently he took Prince Harry Windsor of England to task for his bellyaching autobiography called Spare. And, and all of his criticisms of Harry were absolutely spot on. That man is vain, pampered, self-obsessed. He, he married an egotistical, manipulative woman who walks all over him and walks all over his family, and he just sits there and takes it like a cuckold. I didn't used to like using that word, but it actually has utility. But commentators, including Matt Walsh, don't seem to understand that rich kids can be abused and traumatized as well. Uh, Matt is understandably allergic to the word trauma because it is so overused. But like many other conservatives, I think he often throws the baby out with the bathwater. Because trauma is overused, now no one gets to say the word trauma and be taken seriously, even though trauma actually exists and there is a difference between a child who is genuinely traumatized and an egotist who's just claiming to be traumatized. That difference matters. These commentators say that these celebrities have never faced any hardship, and they, they are apparently never traumatized since they grew up in at least middle-class households or rich royal households. Well, child abuse and emotional mistreatment is not confined to trailer parks. My story sounds more typical. It's more like what you would expect from an abused kid. Poverty, single motherhood, dozens of apartment moves over the years, no steady job, drug abuse. But even if my parents had never laid a hand on me, never beat me, I would probably be largely the same person I am today. It was the psychological torment from my home, not the beating, the psychological torment that left me with a form of post-traumatic stress disorder. Yes, Matt Walsh, PTSD, the kind you don't like to hear it because you only want soldiers to be able to use that word. This is called complex PTSD, and it's the kind that you get from being in a situation of long-term abuse or neglect and adversity where there is no reasonable hope of escape. And that is a description of a child who is trapped in an abusive home. Maybe no one ever beat Prince Harry, but his father was the Prince of Wales and his mother was the Princess of Wales. 
Diana Spencer was obviously emotionally unstable, and she became the world's favorite borderline, fooling nearly every woman across the globe who watched television because those women wanted to see themselves in her and be an eternal victim like poor Diana. His father is a massive egotist and philanderer. And on top of that, the entire system of being in the royal family is to be inside a cluster B pressure cooker. The Prince Harry's, the Britney Spears's, the Demi Lovato's, they may all come from shinier backgrounds than the typical child abuse victims that we imagine, but they were absolutely traumatized as children. They wouldn't be where they are doing what they are if they weren't. Normal people aren't attracted to Hollywood if you didn't get the memo before. This doesn't excuse their narcissism and it doesn't, it, it, and it doesn't excuse their behavior as adults. They are annoying people. They are today very privileged. They spout bullshit every time they open their mouths and they deserve every bit of stick they get for it. But they became who they are for a reason. This matters. Just as liberals have a very hard time acknowledging that someone that they have seen as a victim can actually grow up to become a perpetrator, conservatives can't seem to understand that people who are perpetrators today were often once victims themselves and that there is a reason that they ended up this way. To ignore this is to engage in a behavior that is, that is common to borderline personality disorder. It's called splitting, all good or all bad, all victim or all perpetrator. Well, that's not real life and it isn't real people. I'll see you next week. There's a new perk for disaffected subscribers, and it's a good one. Patreon and Subscribestar donors, as well as PayPal donors, now have instant access to our backstage Discord server. Join multiple topic-based chat rooms and 24-7 open voice chat, and even virtual events on a main stage for hosted conversations and backstage podcast recording sessions. It's not Twitter, and you don't have to pretend Bruce Jenner's vagina is real. Sign up today.